It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Well, almost, Jimmy. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy today. He's off, you know, working on that tan on the beaches of, of Southern California. Glad he's doing it. Honored to, uh, to fill in for him. I always have fun being on with Jimmy. And uh, I hope you're going to find this to be uh, a great fun show because we got a lot of great guests. Everybody from uh, uh, Congressman Ken Buck. We got the former Congressman Trey Gowdy. He's coming on. Ralph Norman, the congressman from South Carolina. Uh, we got a lot of people coming up. Brian Brenberg going to talk some economic stuff. Matt Schlapp from the American Conservative Union. We get, we got a lot of fun people coming up in in, uh, in this show. But we're going to kick things off and start the day because, you know, I want to talk about some key things. I want to talk about Nathan's hot dogs and what went down with Joey Chestnut. I got to talk about this GoFundMe uh, page with this employee in Burger King. I got a lot of really interesting stories we want to get to. But there's also some things that are really, really important. And um, this, uh, our first guest uh, joining us is Tom Homan. Tom is the uh, former ICE director, acting ICE director. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's a Fox News contributor. And uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing him for a few years. And this guy, look, he put it all, put it all on the line, serving our nation, uh, working with uh, some very – uh, dangerous circumstances and understands the immigration issues in such a big, big way. And you can't get through a discussion about what's going on in America with, if you're not dealing with the border because it's the numbers are absolutely astronomical. So uh, Tom Homan, thank you for joining us. Do appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, I got to tell you, I, you've been working on this your whole career. Uh, when I went to Congress uh, back in 2009, I purposely asked to be on the immigration subcommittee uh, there on the House Judiciary Committee because it was so such a mess. Democrats were in charge then. Zoe, Zoe Lofgren was there um, as the subcommittee chairman. And we didn't do anything. We literally, for two years, two years, uh, they had one hearing. I'm sorry, two. One was to take the class photo, like literally the members of Congress like line up to take a photo. That That was a so-called hearing. Um, and then the other one that we did was um, Stephen Colbert. He he came and testified. That I am not kidding. That is literally what happened for two years when the Democrats were running. And and now I look at the the reversals and the things that they have done to change the immigration policies that were quite frankly working. Um, Tom, you you saw and were active and involved and engaged in what was happening during the Trump administration, but now. It's you can't tell me like Alex Alejandro Mayorkas, the secretary of Homeland Security, says that 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 the that the border is under operational uh, control. You know, just reminiscing real quick, you know, I, I did testify in front of you a couple times. I forget what committee it was. But, you know, the difference between now and then is back then. I mean, you asked me a question and I gave the cold hard truth. And uh, it wasn't a good answer. I mean, I got in trouble for it. Of course, later on, my boss called. You don't have to say it that way. Yeah, I did. I'm under oath. He asked a question that gave an answer. So that was the difference. Nowadays, you got Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, 
he lies every time he's on TV. I watched him this weekend, and, and he's talking about the border. He still claims the border is closed and secure, but he says that the, then he goes on the other side. He says, well, the migrant crisis because of COVID and because of downturn in the economy, because of a climate uh, change. And and I got irritated because you know when he first became secretary, he said it was because of Trump's policies. Then he says, well, it's seasonal. It'll go away. It happens every year. Then he says, you know, that not now it's COVID and, and downturn in the economy and, and climate change. Well, look, during 2019 and 2020, there wasn't climate change. And during 19 and 20, there wasn't uh, – 2020, the country shut down from COVID, and the economy is downturned to record levels. So, bottom line is, we had the same problems in the Trump administration. But you know what? We didn't. We still secured the border at the highest level ever. Illegal immigration under President Trump was down between 83 and 90 percent, depending on what months you look at. It was down to a 35 to 40 year low, depending on what year of his administration. We did it. We, we in, in this administration, what 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 really irritates me about the secretary is we had a surge in FY 14-15. When he was deputy secretary, I worked with him hundreds of times. He knows how to stop it. How did we stop it back then? We built detention centers. We built 3,000 uh, uh, family beds. We made them see it. We had, kept custody until they saw a judge. Of course, 90% lost. We put in an airplane, sent him home, and the border search went away. Now, what's he doing now? Because that's what we did. He knows that's what we did. He shut down detention. He shut down all the family residential centers. And they're being released without a court date. He's well, doing the complete me, opposite of what he knows works. Well, let's do, he was just on uh, Face the Nation. Uh, let's go to cut 16 and listen in his own words when he was asked about when people are encountered at the border. Um, he's trying to make the case that they're not just merely released into the United States. Cut 16. Right now, they do have to remain in Mexico. And then uh, we will uh, actually continue with their immigration enforcement proceedings. Remember, when people are encountered at the border, they are just not merely released into the United States. They are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings, and that is what will occur uh, with these people. Their proceedings will continue in immigration court where they will pursue their claims for asylum, and if those claims are unsuccessful, they will be swiftly removed from the United States. What's your reaction? Lie. Lie after lie. First of all, thousands were released with no court date. They were released on the notice to report. I have one in my office. The last paragraph of the notice to report says, clearly, you are not in immigration proceedings. They're not going to be put in immigration proceedings unless they voluntarily show up at an ICE office upon their choosing, whenever, if ever. And that's when they're put in proceedings. And if we look at the data, about 40% will never, even the ones who were released from the court date, 40% will never show up. But here's what the secretary knows. The Homeland Security Life Cycle Report, which he has as his report, says several things. Number one, nine out of ten Central Americans who claim asylum at the border never get relief from U.S. courts because they either don't show up or they don't qualify. Now, what happens on that nine out of ten to 90 percent that lose? According to the Homeland Security Life Cycle Report, if you're, if you're UAC, you leave 3% of the time. If you're a family unit, you leave 6% of the time. If you're a single adult, you leave 16% of the time. So he knows these people are never leaving. And that's why they're not detaining Jason, Jason, because the same report says if you're detained when you get a removal order, you're removed 99% of the time. That's why he's catching release. That's why he's releasing them, because he knows based on his own report, even if they lose their case, which 9 out of 10 are going to, according to immigration court data, Nobody's leaving. 
Yeah, no, it's an absolute joke. I remember I went and visited the border down in Arizona, and then I went to the Eloy detention facility there that's also in Arizona. There were more than uh, – some of the people there represented more than 150 uh, um, countries. I wanted to see one of these immigration uh, proceedings, but then I was told that, hey, look, it's a little too crowded. A lot of it is done online. Um, and there, at the time, there were only three immigration judges. Three. It was just an absolute joke. All right, I gotta, I gotta move on to clip eighteen. This is Karine Jean Pierre. She's the White House spokesperson. She was on Air Force One last week talking about how the border is closed. Clip eighteen. We're focused on them, on the facts, uh, on and holding the human strugglers who endangered uh, vulnerable individual uh, individuals for profits accountable. Uh, and we're and we're focused on continuing our historic actions to disrupt dangerous smuggling networks, including through new uh, anti-smuggling campaign that just in the first two months uh, resulted in over 1,800 arrests. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the border is closed. The border is closed. Now, Tom, I don't know whether to laugh, cry, uh, scream, or whatever. I mean, to suggest that the border is closed and that they're focused on this problem is an absolute joke. Well, look, the, bo- the bottom line is that data says this. Up-to-date numbers show about 900,000 people got away since Joe Biden became president. 900,000 people crossed the border, weren't arrested, got away. And, and, and that's unrecorded traffic, either a camera or, or drone or censor. So how is that close? you got almost a million people got in this country and never got caught. Then you got another three million that, that did, were encountered. And, and, and since... This crisis is going on since we got almost three million of border patrols encountered. Not up to seventy percent border traces are off the line. And what happens then? Well, that's where you get the nine hundred thousand gotaways, and that's when you get enough fentanyl and kill over hundred thousand people. Joe Biden, this, this border is far from secure because we got a hundred thousand Americans dead. We got migrants. Over nine hundred migrants have died on U.S. soil since Joe Biden became president. Mm-hmm. It, 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 now is that close? And tell the families of the 53 people that died in the, in the tractor trailer last week that the board is closed. This is a lie after lie after lie. And this guy gets on TV. It, it, you would think the Secretary of Homeland Security, you should trust in what he says. His job is to protect us all. And he constantly lies. He needs to be impeached on day one. He should resign if he had any integrity at all. And here's the most important part people need to understand. 900,000 gotaways. Who are they? Border Patrol's arrested 50 people on the FBI screening database. Now, the Border Patrol's arresting people from 161 different countries. Many of them sponsor terrorism. If you don't think a single one of that 900,000 came from a country sponsored terrorism and got away and is in this country right now to do us harm, then you're ignorant to the data. He's a secretary of Homeland Security. Even if he's an open border supporter, he should stand up and any integrity and tell the president, I can no longer do this. I'm the secretary of Homeland Security, and this is a huge national security threat. I yeah. got to stop. Well, I'm going to quit. But he doesn't because he believes in the ideology of the left. Well said. I, Tom Homan, look, you lived it. You breathed it. You dedicated your career to it. Thank you to your service. And all those men and women that you worked with and that are working right now to, to try to do their jobs, they're not allowed to do their jobs. I think the point that I've tried to make time and time again is that, you know, don't take my word for it. Why don't you actually go down to the border and talk about it? The the idea that Joe Biden has never been to the border in his 50 whatever years uh, of public service and Kamala Harris is supposedly the borders are and it's been more than a year and she doesn't (laughs) talk to these. It's just a joke. 
Tom Homan, former acting ICE director, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation and Fox News contributor. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. Taking the edge off one story at a time. America needs to learn how to lighten up. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. like when he comes back but uh i hey we got a we got a lot happening here in the world we talked uh, with tom homan about uh, what's going on in immigration but now i think it's probably most appropriate to talk about what's going on with gas gas prices inflation uh the economy and i'm really thrilled to have uh, congressman ralph norman he represents south carolina's fifth congressional district uh, house financial services committee member He's also on the Oversight and uh, Government Reform Committee. It used to be called Government Reform Committee when I was the chairman of it. Uh, uh, Congressman Norman, thanks uh, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Well, Jason, great great to be with you. No, I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I'm out west. Uh, you're out there, uh, South Carolina. Tell us what people are thinking about. What are you hearing from people and I don't know what the price of gas is, but it's about five dollars thirty cents here in in uh, in Utah. That's that means I'm paying you know well north of a hundred bucks to fill up an F one fifty. Yeah, what Jason? What we're hearing is, um, and I'm in the real estate development world. I hear it from subcontractors that build the smallest project to the families that are trying to put food on the table and balance a budget, but. Our gas prices, uh, regular is right at averaging 463. Um, you know, and it, the, the problem, uh, you know, this past July 4th weekend, the lake, the, those who were in their boats on the lake, to me, looked like it was down significantly from what it normally is. And of course, most boats use the, high, the uh, non-ethanol, and which costs more, but no, it's a train wreck, this economy all the way around. People are very upset. Uh, they are, you know, between the, the gas prices, the the short uh, supplies when you go in a grocery store to what's happening on the border to, you know, crime, everything. It's just a, a train wreck. And, you know, they're feeling it now because everybody has to have gas uh, we're not a battery-operated, solar panel-operated economy yet, and not going to be for uh, foreseeable future. But they're upset, and uh, I think that's why you're going to see the polls in November reflect that. You know, uh, don't have to take my word for it. Listen to this. This is David Axelrod. Uh, he was on CNN um, talking about Joe Biden doesn't really have the best answers in the world as it comes to gas. Uh, clip seven. When the president got into those questions, gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. 
He doesn't have great answers. And when he starts talking about um, gas prices, I mean, even the Wall Street Journal really called him out on the comments that the president said about gas. It's a gas station owners. Sixty of sixty percent of gas stations are independently operated. They're making their margin is just a few cents on a gallon of gas. Their expenses are really high. It's hard. It's a tough business. So if when Joe Biden goes out there and says, "Hey, you know, just lower the price of gas. It's good for the country." It's like he just, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out, I don't know if you saw that op-ed, but he doesn't understand the basic economics of how real business actually works. I don't think he's capable, Jason. I really don't. And I don't think the cabal that's running this country is feeding him the script on the teleprompter. Uh, for him to say those kind of things, I mean, from Putin to you know the, the gas station owners who are on such a tight margin anyway, I can't tell you the last time I filled up that when you looked at the the price amount, uh, it you know some people are buying four and five gallons and stopping. And, you know, it's that way across the board because it, it's hitting those that he, he proclaims he helps the most, uh, which are the low income and the, and the really middle income now. It affects everybody. But well, uh, he's disconnected and he's he, he doesn't – he is run by the socialist part of the, uh, the his Democrat party, which is AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and that crowd. Yeah, listen to Brian Deese. Brian, I, I believe there are some puppeteers there uh, that are really running the show over there. I think it's Jill Biden. I think it's uh, re- uh, Ron Klain, who's this, um, uh, who's his chief of staff. I think it's Susan Rice. And the other one is very key is Brian Deese, who's the economic advisor. Listen to Brian Deese again. This is uh, this is last week, just Thursday, a few days ago. Uh, the National Economic Council director, uh, clip six. But these are uncertain times and when prices are high, uh, people are uh, understandably frustrated when they're pulling up at the gas pump. As we go through this challenging period, even as we move through this uh, transition, uh, we also have made historic economic progress. Yeah, but he's also talking about the fact that he thinks that there's a new global world order. It's just kind of scary stuff. Well, not only does he think it, that's what they're promoting. And for him to say the things that, that Biden has read across the teleprompter, you, you know, uh, how the economy's doing well now, we're in a new phase where America's, you know, is coming out of something. Coming out of what? I mean, he, where are the solutions? And that's why the January 6th Commission, all the diversionary tactics that he's using to divert off the real problems this country's facing are uh, just not working. I mean, look yeah, at the viewership not- of the January 6th. Congressman Norman uh, out of South Carolina, I wish we had more time with you, but uh, thanks for being involved and engaged in serving. Uh, but we got a hard break we got to go to, and we'll be back. Stay with us. We got a great lineup with Trey Gowdy coming up next. All right, this is uh, Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy today, and that's always good to have a lead-in with the cars because i got to tell you, at least my generation growing up listening to the cars, Rick Ocasek sadly passed away. Uh, that was uh, that's kind of my generation, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and somehow, some way, I went from high school listening to the cars to serving in the United States Congress, and, uh, wow, it was um, – It's not something I set out to do, but it was an honor and a privilege to do it. I was there eight and a half years. And, you know, there are some really good people there. There's some people that you would never spend 10 minutes with and who get elected. And you think, wow, did did that actually did that person did they um, 
did anybody actually meet that person? <laughs> and uh, But so many of them are good. I, quite frankly, on both sides of the aisle, I got along with people on both sides of the aisle. I would disagree vehemently with them on, on certain things. But there are other people that I really enjoyed and interacted with from, you know, from a Senator Tim Scott to a, to a John Radcliffe. And then our next guest, uh, Trey Gowdy. We, we were on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, we were on the Oversight Committee, and I saw him way too much. But uh, joining us, the former congressman from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. Thanks for joining us today on, on uh, Fox Across America. Is that my introduction that that you saw our next guest way too much? That, yeah, that's the best yeah. You, you wanted to drum roll and the whole, you know, roll out the red carpet. You're high maintenance. I understand that. I mean, I'd like a little. I mean, I'd like you know. Hey, look, he barely made it out of Spartanburg High School. You should see his transcripts. He finished college in only six years I, I i mean i'd like a little more than i saw this guy way too much yeah well that i've just it's we're telling it we're just doing truth and honesty here on jimmy's show that's the only direction they gave it <laughs> now i listen i know you want to talk about uh immigration and i know you want to talk about the economy and, and the intricacies of the economy but i have a few questions i gotta ask you first okay uh, did I really you see... want you to try to pronounce the word intricacies again. <laughs> intricacies. Let me dumb it down for you a little bit. That word <laughs> Look, I want to. I want to dumb it down before we get into talk about mens rea and those types of legal terms. I'll. I'll. I'll lay it all out for you. Um, <laughs> did you watch Joey Chestnut dominate yet again in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest? I did not. I've never watched that. Um, you know, Jason, you and I both are sports nuts. This is kind of a, a this is a quiet period for us. There's no college football. There's no college basketball. There's no college baseball. The Cincinnati Reds are terrible. Uh, the preseason NFL games have not started yet. So I'm not saying that eating a bunch of hot dogs is not a sport. I'm not I'm not saying that, but it's not a sport I watch. You know, to eat sixty. 60- three hot dogs plus the buns which are you know we got to watch the carbs there plus buns in 10 minutes <laughs> i mean there are some members of congress there are some members of congress that actually could 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 uh could, could i'm talking them. to one yeah i'm talking to one i mean the, we would go eat dinner you you would eat i mean look i know i know that your faith does not allow you to like eat a lot of the bad things that I eat or drink a lot of the bad things I drink. But apparently there's no prohibition against eating as much of good things as you can possibly get your hands on. Do you not remember we would go to dinner and you would eat like a meal for a small village and then you would say, hey, let's run by a place called The Good Stuff, which is completely inappropriately named. <laughs> They're fries. And you would get They're fries onion rings, awesome. french fries, and a milkshake. Well, you got to wash it down. You got to you got to wash it down, and you could use the exercise from the Capitol Hill Club all the way to Good Stuff and back. That it was at least three hundred, four hundred yards. Yeah, and then and then of course you would regale us with stories of the old days when you were a college athlete, and then I think if I'm not mistaken, you broke your foot putting up Christmas decorations, right, or taking them down. Okay, I changing the light bulb in my garage. Yes, it was very similar. Okay, to that, all yes. right, you go close. Okay, a Christmas tree light bulb is close. 
So, I mean, you've got, like, plates and screws and stuff in your foot, right? I mean, it's not, like, just a little sprain. It, yeah, it's 14, like screws up, in a, right? 14 screws in a plate. They had to flay me open 10 years later and pull them all out. But, yeah, I, I did get that. Okay, well, I, I've got can other we, pressing can things we change to ask the topic? you about. Yeah, can yeah I, want to, I want to go back. Away from that. I seriously, I, I haven't talked to you about this. I want to get your take on the live or the LIV versus the PGA. What What's your take on that? Uh, well, interest of full disclosure, uh, interest of full disclosure, I've actually had a chance to play golf with Greg Norman about, what, six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, before it kind of, uh, before the Mickelson stuff, before all of that. Um, uh, you know, I'm a golf nut. I watch, um, I watch amateur golf. I love the NCAA men's and women's. I can tell you who won i can tell you who the medalist was so i love golf so on the one hand if it means more golf um i'm all for it uh, i don't like um i mean sports is where most people go to get away from politics they, right. they just they go right. to sport to get away from it and it just and i get the arguments if i were the commissioner of the pga tour i would say you know what you you make a choice Make a choice, but you cannot play on our tour and then play for a rival tour. Uh, on the other hand, if I were an individual guy, it, I guess it depends on why you play golf. Do you do you play like when I hear Justin Thomas interviewed or some of those guys? There's a appreciation of history. They're trying to catch Tiger and Jack, which is you know probably not going to happen. Although they're phenomenal golfers, it's, just, it's hard. Or do you do it uh, as a means to provide, you know, financially for your family? When I, I mean, do you know who won the live tournament over the weekend? Uh, no, I know they probably made a lot of money though. I think all told together, it's either two point something million or four point something million. That is, you know, not to like send you spiraling into the throes of depression. But you served in Congress for, what, nine years, eight years, ten years? How long were you there? Yeah, eight and a half years. Uh, eight and a half years, and you didn't scratch what that guy did in three days. So it depends on why you're playing. The whole, um, you know, the the intersection of politics, uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, I, I look, I mean, you, you got China, you got other countries that have a less than sterling civil rights records. That part of it, I kind of put off to a side. The television networks need the PGA tour. That's who they have their contract with. Um, so, you know, I, I, I understand their arguments against it, but they have a pecuniary interest. And as you learn from sitting by me and Radcliffe, you got to cross examine people, including on their interest and bias. You know, the Golf Channel and NBC and CBS, they make their money off of PGA Tour events, not off of live. So, All right. Let me, you know. I have other pressing issues. This is not a, um infinite podcast. Oh, I, thought so. that's, I thought that was the pressing issue. It's not the live. No, I, PGA the other PGA. one that's really, really hot on the topic, I mean, just, you know, listeners are just pounding their desks wanting to get your opinion on this. Amber Heard has asked the court to toss the ten million dollar verdict against Johnny, De- you know, in the Johnny Depp defamation case. What's your take on that? Is she going to win? Um, 
the very next second of that trial or the aftermath that I watch will be the first second. <laughs> I did not follow it. You're uh, a legal guy. You're sure. a legal scholar. I thought every right. legal scholar was looking at that as a you know, way to school and better. Don't you get, like, continuing legal education credit for, for watching, watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial on <laughs> uh, on, on defamation? Um, if you do, then I miss those credits. I, but he did, I, I did win. Not, I mean, it's pretty rare to win a case like this. It's very hard. He lost in Great Britain, if I'm not mistaken, but he won in the United States. And I don't know if they were both jury trials or not. I mean, anything can happen with a jury trial. I literally did not watch a second of it. I understand Depp's lawyer did a good job at Cross, and I'm a big fan of Cross, um, and I understand she did a really good job. But I just – I'd be lying to you if I told you it had any impact whatsoever on my day-to-day life, <laughs> and and I did not watch a second of it, and – um, you could take away every single channel I have on my cable package and just leave that one, and I still would not have watched the second half. <laughs> I would watch a blank screen before I watched that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, I was going to get into the whole mens rea issue, and I was going to talk about the Jones case, which <laughs> no, but, so, but, so but we're running out of time. About. Why don't you talk about quantum physics so you can talk about three different things you don't know anything about? <laughs> But the court did rule nine nothing on a very important mens rea case, and but we're going to have to leave that to another day because I'd have to bring you up to speed, and then, you know, review the case. But we don't have time for that. I'm sorry to what listeners out there. We don't have time. It's radio. What you don't have to go to like a commercial. We have sponsors. Yes, there, to talk to you. There are sponsors out there, and there are listeners, and. I, I don't. My wife Julie's not listening, but there are listeners out there. I do promise. <laughs> of course, of course, Julie is not listening. Nor does she watch when you're on. But so, does your wife watch? Does your wife world, watch you're when you're on? About two things. I'm not even following. You look, you look. You host a show on Fox News. Does she watch that show every week? Who Terry? Yeah. Um, she actually <laughs> does. Uh, but you're dressing is... much better, by the way. I'm just saying we got to go to a commercial here, but I'm just saying since you got that Fox uh, News show and that Terry is paying attention to your wardrobe every day, much improved from the, the you times know, you show you, up. And... You, you know what I miss? I miss being in Congress. I never thought I'd ever say this. Sitting in between you and John Ratcliffe. Both of whom got your suits when someone at the county fair didn't guess your weight. That's where those suits came from because that electric blue suit that you and Radcliffe wore, which, by the way, has been outlawed since y'all left Congress. There's no bipartisanship, but they passed a law saying neither one of you can wear that color again. Well, look at the time here. Um, We're going to have to cut this interview short. Trey uh, Gowdy. Come back on. When Thank can I you. Come back on. <laughs> you know can what? I'll just call. I, I'm going to call you back on the phone, and I will just put it on mute, and just you just keep talking, and I'll pretend we're on the okay. radio. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me know how that J- Johnny Depp Amber Heard movie or trial finishes. Okay. Let me know All what right. the ending is.
All right, and next time, immigration and the economy. But we'll get to that next. I can't season. wait. Trey Gowdy, stay with us. We got more to come right after this. Call and speak to Jimmy now. I'm trying to use the phone. 888-788-9910. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz filling in for Jimmy. I, I really, I, I hope you were there with us on that last segment where I got to call and talk with uh, Trey Gowdy. Um, really one of the great, uh, great people, great family. Uh, and always fun to joke with. The, you got a real sense of kind of how the discussion would go with uh, myself, Trey Gowdy, John Radcliffe, um, Tim Scott. Uh, it, it was kind of like that 24-7. Um, we obviously had to get into the weight of some very – uh, important issues, and so we weren't always joking around, but uh, you get to, he's just a good guy and very thoughtful and cares and loves uh, his country and his family, and uh, I could uh, talk to him for hours, um, but uh, I hope you had fun with that and a good sense of it. I, I want to transition now and talk a little bit about uh, big tech and the suppression and things that go on with the Internet, and thrilled to have uh, Carl uh, Zabo. He's the vice president and general counsel for NetChoice. He's also a professor of internet law at the George Mason uh, Scalia Law Law School. And uh, I'm thrilled to have him on. Carl, thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Yeah, thanks, Jason. we got to figure out a way to, to get you back in Congress because we need all the help we can get in D.C. <laughs> well, thank you. Very kind of you. Um Hey, I got to tell you, uh, I won awards for, you know, advocating for free and open Internet and pushing back on things like, uh, you know, SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act, where government would have more control over the Internet. But there's this counterbalance or this counter problem that I, I see out there um, with the suppression and what seems to be a um, concerted effort to do things that I don't think people would be able to get away in in, other, in another consumer type of setting. But, look, you're the professor. You've written about this. You know, I, I mean, explain to us where you're coming from and what you see as the big challenges out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really tough. Look, I'm a conservative, and when I see some of the actions that are taken by the big tech businesses, it, it pisses me off. It makes me really upset, and I ask myself, how, how can they get away with it? The same questions that you're asking yourself. But the thing is, when I put on my conservative hat and I look to my originalist values, I realize that I would much rather have private businesses engaged in this than handing that power over to the government. Amen. And that's what Amen. really yeah. kind of scares me because guess what? If Twitter's doing something I don't like, I can just quit Twitter. It's much harder for me to leave the United States of America. And as much as Facebook may punish me by kicking me off their service, they can't put me in prison. And unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues in the conservative movement are, are frustrated, and, and rightfully so. I'm frustrated all the time. But the answer is not more government. The answer is private industry. We need more investment, more innovation in things like Right Forge, in things like Truth Social, in things like Elon Musk buying up Twitter. And right. that's the free market working, not the government. So how do we get around this whole idea that, you know, um, 
I think they're manipulative. I, I think that they the way they treat the consumer is misleading. When you say, like, I have supposedly 550,000 followers on Twitter, but if I send out a message that says, hey, Donald Trump was, uh, you know, it was good to see him today, uh, or he's a nice guy or was a good president, it, it goes to like 30 people. Uh, and that they're not being honest with me. You know, that that's one of the things that I tell them every time I see them is, you got to be truthful with people, and you got to tell them what they're doing. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I often talk about is how if the speed limit is 55 miles per hour and you want people to drive 55 miles per hour, tell them the speed limit is 55 miles per hour. But the challenge begins, though, when it comes to free speech, identifying kind of that black and white decision. A good example would be what is terrorist speech? What is hate speech? Right. You can ask a Democrat and a Republican get two completely different answers. And that's one of the challenges. So if they come out and say no terrorist content, it's really hard to figure out where that lands. That's the problem with free speech. Our Supreme Court can't figure that out. But what we do need is more opportunity out there. Because, look, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and the only outlets I had to read were The Washington Post and New York Times. And now we have so much more access to shows like yours, to information that is out there on conservative networks. I can go to Fox.com. I can go – Fox TV. These are things I didn't have growing up. Conservatives didn't have growing up. We had Rush Limbaugh, but now we have so much, much more. And now we have to go to commercial. Carl Azebo, I wish I had more time with you. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Almost Jimmy Failia. This is uh, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for for Jimmy. I'm a Fox News contributor. I was a member of Congress. I'm also the host of a podcast that Fox News does. It's called Jason in the House. Hope you get a chance to just type in Jason in the House and you can go find the podcast. But honored to be filling in for Jimmy, who, as I told you before, is out uh, getting some vitamin D there in Southern California on some rough Fox assignment, evidently out at the Santa Monica Pier. Sounds like a really tough gig that he had to do just over the 4th of July weekend. You know, it's kind of one of those, hey, let's schedule something on Thursday and Tuesday. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be able to fit it in. But uh, good for Good for Jimmy, and thanks for uh, – it gives me an opportunity to fill in. So that's good. That's good. Um, I had a wonderful 4th of July uh, weekend. I hope you did too. Uh, it's fun. We had incredible weather out uh, out west. Um, hope you did as well. There's nothing like a bummer and having thunderstorms on, on 4th of July, but we didn't. We had perfect clear skies, beautiful holiday. Went to the Provo Freedom Festival. Uh, Tim McGraw was uh, in concert. Awesome concert. Marie Osmond was playing, but the the two of them uh, were great. Just a really big fan of uh, Tim McGraw's music. I I had a good time. He put on a great show, and everybody loved it. And it's just a great celebration of freedom. As you know, what the United States of America, greatest country on the face of the planet. Um, but uh, you got some people who don't think so. Um, and at the top of the ticket is Joe Biden who gave a very interesting speech. Instead of one of optimism and enthusiasm and pride and and the red, white, and blue, let's listen to clip 25 because it um, didn't really sound that optimistic. Our economy is growing, but not without pain. Liberty is under assault, assault both here and abroad. In recent days, there's been reason to think that this country is moving backward, that freedom is being reduced, 
that rights we assumed were protected are no longer. A reminder that we remain in an ongoing battle for the soul of America. You know, the comparisons of Joe Biden to Jimmy Carter, I think, will continue to grow and grow over this idea that he's presiding over this malaise um, and that he wants to blame Putin, Putin, Putin for everything. You know, it's always Putin's fault and everything is Putin's fault. And I, I mean, it's just absolutely stunning the direction that he takes this um and, and and yet doesn't have sort of the understanding of the basic economy you look at the wall street journal op-ed today talking about the fundamentals of our economy um it, it's just rapid inflation gas prices going up i think every metric that you can do in terms of the economy he can keep telling us that our economy is growing um, but when inflation grows faster, people don't feel like that. When it takes more than 100 bucks to fill up your, your truck or your car um, and that gas prices were significantly less than that just a year and a half ago. Um, and look, Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency. It's kind of hard for them to, to place blame other places. I also find it interesting, this attack, that uh, suddenly we uh, – you know, the president said the rights that we assumed were protected are no longer. Um, that's not what the Supreme Court said in overturning Roe versus Wade. It simply said that the states need to make these decisions. So if you're California, Massachusetts, those types of places, look, they get to make those decisions. And um, the other thing that happened was I, I found it fascinating in, in the EPA case. And, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency, I'm sure a lot of people's eyes glaze over. But the Supreme Court ruled in that particular case that you can't take these unelected bureaucrats and just unilaterally, uh, you know, come up with laws and rules. Congress didn't delegate that authority. They didn't give them that authority. And that uh, really, if they want to have new rules and regulations there with the EPA, they have to they have to have Congress pass that law. Senator Schumer came out against that. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came out against it. You had all these liberals and all these green tree huggers that came out against this saying, oh, this is awful. Since when did members of Congress rail against a Supreme Court ruling that gave Congress more power? Usually a branch of government celebrates when they get more power and instead, they complained about it like it's the end of the earth because I think they know that if they have to go through the legislative process and have to actually have people vote on it, guess what? Probably not going to pass. So that's led to this triggering of some celebrities that are just off the rails. I mean, everybody from Katy Perry and, and uh, Bette Midler and some of these people just totally off the rails railing about the United States, you had you had Democratic Party uh, uh, members in Arizona saying they were going to renounce the, the United States. I mean, not soon to celebrate. You saw all these news stories, at least I did on FoxNews.com and others. It was just unbelievable. Let's listen to clip 26. This is uh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day renouncing his U.S. citizenship. America, I'm renouncing my citizenship. Hey, 
That's fine. Stay away. Don't ever come back. You can go live in another country. At least he's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. Let's listen to Samantha B. And the approach that she's taking, clip 23. I can't describe how painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase 50 years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's about doing everything in our power to protect and help vulnerable people access abortion across state lines. And we have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant Justice Alito eats at for the rest of his life. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. That's pretty dangerous talk, you know, Um, saying that you should be poisoning or tainting somebody's food is an appropriate reaction to saying that, hey, we're going to let you in the state of California or wherever she lives make a decision about how much abortion you can have. Some states are going to have more abortions than ever. I don't think there's a very much of an understanding of actually what's going on here, how this works. But to suggest that violence, um, and that's the way I take this uh, from Samantha B, is the appropriate answer to encourage people to poison their food uh that republicans and conservatives are trying to take away your freedoms i'm sorry but no we're standing republicans have stood tall and conservatives have stood tall to enforce their freedoms what about the second amendment i wonder how she feels about the fourth amendment i wonder how she feels about the first amendment uh it's been conservatives uh, that have stood tall to say hey we need to protect your constitutional rights if she thinks that there's a constitutional right to abortion in the constitution i'd love for her to point that out but what about the constitutional rights of the unborn what about the person who has different dna than another person what about that baby that's about to be born in its third trimester um do you believe in infanticide that you should be able to just kill that baby even though it's crowning and about to come out and start breathing air i mean some people really do believe that but don't tell me that that's a fight for freedom uh the standing up for the most vulnerable uh, around us is something i think is is why i'm a conservative and uh and so i think it's just I mean, these things just go on and on and gone. Let's listen to Olivia Rodrigo, a pop singer. I don't really, not really familiar with her, but uh, clip 27. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Cullen Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. We hate you. Yeah, uh, well, that's a great message for America. You know what? You have a right in this country. Uh, to petition your government. You have a right to peacefully, peacefully, by the way, peacefully, um, you know, express yourself um, and make your voice heard. But you don't have the right to threaten and you don't have a right to um, suggest you're going to taint somebody's food. If you don't like it, hey, you can you can vote, you can be involved, you can petition your government all you want. That's about as American as it gets. But What you don't have the right to do is to incite violence. And you don't have the right to suggest that, you know what, we're going to poison somebody's food. 
And for those that don't like it here, guess what? You can go live in Costa Rica if you want. You know, the AARP says it's a great place to retire. It's very ironic, by the way, and i got, I got to wrap up here, but it's ironic that if you go and look at the AARP, best places to retire overseas, the very countries that they're talking about are the ones that are coming here illegally uh, with this immigration surge because supposedly climate change is so bad. <sighs> but you know what? If you don't love it here in America, if you don't recognize it's the greatest country on the, greatest country on the face of the planet, you can go move to another state uh, or another country, I should say. And that's my take on it. We got more coming up. Stay with us. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. We'll be right back. It's America's number one radio lunch date. Get your hands out of my fries. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Buy your own damn fries. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz, uh, filling in for Jimmy. Uh, nothing like ZZ Top to get you kind of get up, get motivated, hope you had a good holiday, and be able to celebrate the 4th of July and and uh, all the great freedoms. You see the fireworks and the music and you know, just hang out with the family or maybe some people just snuggle up, I'm sure, and watch a good, fun movie. Um, I don't know what, what your flavor was, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, devastated by some of the things that happened over the weekend. Uh, obviously that shooting in Illinois is, is top of mind. And um, to see that sort of terrorism, that sort of devastation happen, um, it touches your heart. Um, but as we persevere and we come on and we we move forward as a nation, I think it's also very important, not just a Memorial Day, not just Fourth of July, not just Veterans Day or Flag Day or whatever it might be, but then we got to remember the people who laid the foundation for our freedoms and sacrificed their lives and stepped up and served. And so that's why I'm uh, really glad to have Heather Robinson uh, joining us. Uh, she is a New York Post contributor, and she wrote this great article, Woody Williams, the last World War II Medal of Honor hero who fought to preserve America's freedom. Heather, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jason. Great to be with you. You wrote a great article. Tell us, tell us about the life of Woody Williams. I'm looking at the article, and boy, there's a great picture of him with this flamethrower at age 21, and what he mm-hmm. did, and the sacrifices he made. And it's you know sad to see him passed on, but boy, he led a uh, a great life, and I'm glad he was yes. honored the way he was. Thank you, thank you, Jason. Yes, he was a great American. Um, he lived to be 98 years old, um, a very good long life. He served uh, in World War II on Iwo Jima. And as I wrote, many Americans are familiar with the iconic photo of the Marines raising the flag there. Right. Um, his role was to really help blaze the trail and break through enemy um Resistance. It was uh, waves and waves of Marines were just being slaughtered, thousands and thousands of them trying to take that particular island, which was viewed as um, very strategically crucial to be able to refuel planes uh, on their way to Japan. And at that time, um, you know, the thinking was that, you know, there might be bombing campaign. And, you know, ultimately we know how things did, um, you know, end up. But it was a very um, viewed as a very pivotal uh, point in the war, and he was a 21-year-old man who um, was asked by his desperate commander to try to use his flamethrower to break through uh, 
the um, enemy lines, which were um, uh, the Japanese were firing from within reinforced concrete pillboxes, and it, they were it was virtually impenetrable, and thousands and thousands of Marines had died trying. So he charged forward on foot uh, with several Marines, most several of whom were killed, um, you know, who were covering him. And he miraculously was not, and he kept returning to refuel, and he neutralized several pillboxes, and um, he, he persevered through a lot of hand-to-hand combat for four hours and broke through and allowed for armored vehicles and tanks to be able to break through and take Iwo Jima. So his, his valor in battle was exceptional. Yeah. And what really struck me, Jason, when I spoke with him was what a sensitive man he was. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I knew he'd be a tough man. But um, yes, he was. He didn't want to kill. He didn't do it with any bravado. Um, but he knew that it was absolutely necessary. Unfortunately. Yeah, and he was. There's a great picture. I'm glad it's included in the article of President Harry S. Truman awarding the Medal of Honor uh, to uh, Woody Williams, or Herschel Woody Williams. This is back in October of 1945. But boy, the bravery. Uh, you know, a pillbox. You know. Uh, where they're fortified, they have just a small opening, and the enemy can fire their weapons at will at you. That yes. it, the bravery that these young men um, were going through at the time it, it it really is stunning because they did it in such mass, and they did it because they loved their country, and they did it because it was necessary, and their country called upon them. Yes, yes, and you know, he said, "When I saw others be courageous, I couldn't help but be courageous." very humble man. And uh, when we spoke, I I interviewed him for the New York Post uh, at some length last uh, November for Veterans Day. We spoke on the phone for over an hour. And one of the things that uh, I asked him was, you know, with all the the hardship that you endured, was there something – Something reassuring about knowing, at least, you know, having a certainty about the mission and its importance. And he said that, yes, that, you know, they they endured a tremendous amount of strain and hardship. And, and he struggled for many years uh, with what he called demons afterward. Mm-hmm. But at least they knew that this was necessary and, and for, for our country and for freedom. Yeah, I think certainty of mission is is vital, and and understanding what victory does look like. I was always my criticism of of Afghanistan. Um, I could understand the imperative, but we never defined what yeah. victory looked like, and um, mm-hmm. uh, and so. But these men and we, we lost. There were millions of people that were killed in World War One, World War Two, but people stepped up and answered the call, and and in very young ages, uh, some of them mm-hmm. you know just teenagers. Yes, yes, and he initially, Jason, was uh, rejected for military service because he stood five foot six. Um, that height requirement was later revised as the war pro- progressed, and you know Uncle Sam needed all hands on deck. And I believe that you know some of the shorter men um, were um, were trained for demolition because they could fit into tighter spaces. Uh, I didn't specifically ask Woody, you know, when we spoke, if that you know had been part of the reason he was um, trained in flamethrowers and dem- right. demolition. But yeah, generally I think that that sometimes was the case. Well, listen, um, Heather, I, we have to go here. Heather Robinson, New York post contributor, 
uh, a great article online about one of the great American heroes, somebody who stepped up in a time of need of this country, was honored and unfortunately passed away. But what an amazing life, an amazing man and uh, representative of millions of others who also stepped up. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, this is Jason Chavitz. I'm filling in for Jimmy today. And our next guest requested specifically that music soundtrack. And I'm glad that we could provide it for him because <laughs> he is so insightful in what he's doing. I- I'm thrilled to be bringing on uh, Brian Brenberg, who's a professor of business and economics at the King's College in Manhattan. He's also a Fox News contributor. You see him on Fox uh, Business all the time, hosting shows and whatnot. He was also, I had him on a Fox, uh, or my Jason in the House podcast, and so you can hear more of us chatting about his life and growing up. But we didn't get into your musical tastes, Brian, but uh, I'm glad we could provide your uh, soundtrack the way you wanted it. <laughs> I, Jason, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, I love the bumping music. It's got kind of that 80s synth thing, synth thing going here. That's right up my alley. That's, you, you, you guys nailed it today. Yeah, you know, you economic guys, you guys, you professors, you uh, you really smart economic people. You got you know got interesting musical tastes. So, uh, congratulations. <laughs> no, that's I'm not an interesting guy, Jason. But when you grow up in the '80s and you're riding around BMX bikes, and you know, you gotta love the '80s synth. It just brings you right back to a very happy time in life. Well, the '80s were a, a, a fun time, a unique time in the. The musical taste, the haircuts, the the clothing options, yeah. Uh, it's getting to be a while ago. You and I are getting to be a little bit older, but I'm off track. I want to I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the economy. Uh, that's 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 your bread and butter here. Um, uh, let's listen to Joe Biden here. This is back on uh, Thursday. This is Joe Biden talking about the economy. Cut three. I can understand why the American people are frustrated because of inflation. But inflation is higher in almost every other country. Prices of the pump are higher in almost every other country. We're better positioned to deal with this than anyone, but we have a way to go. That's not totally true. He keeps getting Pinocchios every time he says that. Man. Yeah, we have a ways to go. I mean, I, you, you hear those comments, you pair it with what he's tweeting out this weekend about what's going on at gas stations and gas prices. And what people are actually concluding is we have a really long way to go. And the problem is we have a president who has really no interest in getting us out of the situation. And it's not that he doesn't even know, I don't think. People have abandoned the idea that somehow the president's just getting things wrong. What they actually think is he's just simply categorically not interested in solving the problems we have. And all he's trying to do is cast about and find a political villain. He's looking for a political villain. Vladimir Putin, of all people, wouldn't do it. He, he couldn't even cut it as a political villain because people know the inflation problem we have is really not a Putin problem. So now he's going after gas stations. He's going after gas station owners, most of whom are, are mom and pop gas station owners. And he's saying, you guys need to bring down your prices by fiat, by my decree, in order to uh, deal with the high prices that we, we face. And people have just lost confidence, Jason. They just lost confidence that, Anybody at the helm right now can help us get out of this mess. 
Well, the, you bring up a couple of things. Let's, first of all, let's listen to the president as he blames Russia. This is cut five. We have the strongest economy in the world. The reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. The reason why the food crisis exists is because of Russia. Well, why do we need Joe Biden? I mean, if, if Vladimir Putin can pull all the economic levers of the United States of America, why do we need Joe Biden? There's nothing he can do about it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's a. Yeah, it, it, it's defeatist, it's disingenuous, it's distraction. But it, you know, he's, it's, it's really casting about and saying, who can I find? Can, can I find anybody that people are going to think, you know what? Yeah, that that person's to blame, not not this president's policies. But he's he's failing at it so badly. You can see that in the polling. This is what's interesting to me. He keeps trying this. And, and the vast majority of Americans say, we don't buy that. We, we just don't believe what you're trying to sell us on the economy, Mr. President. And yet he keeps doing it and in some ways digs the hole deeper because now instead of going after you know, a foreign dictator, he's going after average Americans who are running businesses in this country and telling them, you, you've got to stop doing business. You've got to stop trying to operate in an inflationary environment, gas stations. You need to take one on the chin. The president's not going to take one on the chin. He's not going to make a sacrifice to his ideology, but he's going to force he – wants, he wants gas station owners. He wants American yeah. businesses to take it on the chin. Yeah, I think you're right. You, you highlighted this, but something like I read in the Wall Street Journal, 60% of the gas station operators, they're just mom and pops. They're making a few pennies on every gallon. The price goes up, price goes down. They don't suddenly get no, rich. I mean, it's not like they're making dollars more. They aren't the ones so supposedly gouging people it's they don't even have the basic understanding i want to i played this earlier in the show but i want to go back to clip seven because this is david axelrod right hardcore true democrat yep. who's part of the biden administration or the uh, the obama administration which had joe biden as their vice president look at his a- a- answer as he uh, articulated it on cnn cut seven when the president got into those questions gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. Doesn't have great answers. And I, this goes to a theory, and I want to get your, your, your take on this, Brian. Um, I, I think they purposely wanted high gas prices. My interaction with the true green Democrats who want to transform the economy – they believe that high gas prices justify their existence for yep. the, the, you know, all of these renewables. I personally am all about all of the above. I think there's room and a need for these renewables. But you have to devastate the economy, double gas prices, shut down our ability to extract these petroleum products. I, I don't think so. Yeah, it's, I think it's actually quite transparent. You know, this is the this is in some ways a gift they were looking for these high gas prices. This is what was required in order to move the Green New Deal along, and so they've got it, and they're not going to give it up. They're not going to solve the problem. I mean, the reason the president doesn't speak emphatically about it is because he doesn't want to solve the problem. He doesn't want to take the all of the above approach. It's actually it's actually fairly clear, Jason, that you can do two things at the same time. On the one hand. You can invest in domestic fossil fuel production, which is as clean as you can get in the world. You can do 
than that. Yeah. You've got all sorts of companies investing in and you've got all sorts of companies creating the new solutions that will be cleaner. But if you take the all of the above approach, what happens for the president is he angers the hard left base that has a religious zealotry about green energy. And for them, all of the above is not pure enough. And if he angers them, he loses his power base. And, and so he can't do it. He can't do the sensible thing, the centrist thing, the thing that would actually help us right now. Uh, and that's what has people so mad, because the average person can see all of the above works. And my president will not do it because it doesn't work for his power base. It has a stranglehold on his political prospects. Uh, I think that's exactly right. I think that is totally, totally true. And you add on top of that, it's just embarrassing to suggest, oh, I'm going to run to Venezuela or to, you know, uh, uh, you know, to Saudi Arabia or, oh, no, no, it's Saudi well, Arabia. Uh, we're going to go to the, you know, we're going to go to the Gulf states. It's like, it's just embarrassing. Yeah. It's just an excuse. And it, look, energy is part of the equation with inflation. You have to also put into the fact that there's this massive government spending. I think it's now something like more than 25% or 25 cents out of every dollar spent is spent by the federal government. Now, John Kirby has been brought over from the Pentagon uh, to be there at the National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator. So he's doing a little bit more spokesperson uh, for the, the this White House. Um, he was on Fox News Sunday. Give him credit for going on Fox News Sunday. And he's responding to Jeff Bezos' claim that Biden, Biden is guilty of misdirection. John Kirby cut one. Anybody that knows President Biden knows he's plain spoken and he tells you exactly what he's thinking and in, in, in terms that everybody can understand. So I think we obviously take great exception at the idea that this is somehow misdirection. The president is speaking honestly with the, uh, honestly with the American people uh, about the, uh, what he's trying to do to bring the prices down. But he was honest even before the invasion, Mike, about the fact that it would not be cost free. Hmm. What's your take on that? <laughs> I think honesty is the one thing everyone agrees is absent from this. I mean, it's, to hear John Kirby say that, if you, if you, the, to the average person, if you say, how's the president doing on energy, what you'd what you probably hear him say is, well, he's just not telling the truth. He keeps saying that he's pulling every lever. He's doing everything he can to bring prices down, and everybody knows he's not doing that. So, you know, Jeff Bezos' critique, Jeff Bezos has his own issues, in my view, but he's right about this one. I mean, the president really is practicing. He's trying to misdirect. It's a very political thing. He's trying to direct America's attention to anything besides the problems right in front of their face. And he's he's failing at it. He's flailing at it. And the, the end result for him is he looks dishonest. That's probably why Kirby had to say that. It's probably why he had to emphasize the president's honesty and plain spokenness about everything else, because he actually knows that's where the president's getting nailed right now. Nobody believes that he really wants to make anyone's life better when it comes to costs or inflation. Yeah, and this is where it goes to the the, the credibility issue, the integrity issue, and um, the incompetence issue that is prevalent here, because – you add on top of that immigration. Yeah. Oh, the border's closed. Oh, we're focused on it. Oh, we're trying. Right. Nope. Nobody believes that. That's just it's, nobody believes that. And I think you're right. I think you make a very salient point about, uh, you know, he's really trying to solve the energy problem. And his misdirection, as Jeff Bezos puts it, on inflation, I, I think is I think is the right assessment. Um, 
Uh, Brian Brenberg, uh, professor of business and economics at the King's College in Manhattan, Fox News contributor. See him on Fox Business all the time. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And again, we can hear more, Brian, and uh, my discussion on uh, Jason in the House, a podcast. Just type in Jason in the House and find it. And uh, thanks for joining us today on Fox Across America. Common sense from a not-so-sensible man. It's the compassion. It's the, it's the dignity. It's the wisdom. It's the, it's the horse sense of the guy that gets you. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. The tone of his voice was not of a, that of a happy warrior, a confident man, a man who, who thinks the best of times are ahead, although he said words to that effect. Uh, and I don't think that this sort of indirect swipe at the Supreme Court does him any, any favor, I mean, or any credit, because, you know, part of the job of a president is to, is, to, is to lead, pull people together, and so on. And trying to discredit a third branch of government, which is ruled against him um, overwhelmingly, by the way, six to three, I don't think advances that cause very much. Uh, it would be much more statesmanlike on his part if he said, look, I don't agree with the decision, but we live by it and we respect the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. But uh, he, hasn't chosen to, he hasn't chosen that path. That was Britt Hume on Special Report on Fox News. Um, I think he's right. I think uh, part of the problem that this administration has, a, a couple of different things come into play. Uh, ageism is not the issue. Uh, Joe Biden's age, I recognize he's older, but there are a lot of sprite, um, clear-minded people that are just doing just fine. Uh, the Biden-Harris administration has a couple different flaws and a couple different problems that are challenges for them. Uh, Joe Biden has never been a great communicator. He, he's not good on the comm stuff. Uh, it doesn't come naturally to him. Uh, he is paired with Kamala Harris, who puts out more word salads than, you know, a sizzler in its heyday. You, you just can't get to the part where there is a clear articulation of what the country's going through and where we should be going. It, it, it comes across as a total lack of leadership. The other big thing and the big problem is the agenda, the policies put forth by the Biden-Harris administration are so foreign to the majority of Americans that they're just not buying it. And you can talk about almost any topic on this, and I think you'll find that such a small percentage of Americans actually believe in it that now that they're being implemented, people are scratching their heads saying, "What? This? why did we sign up for this? Energy policy, immigration policy, um, the the way we're tackling the economy, inflation, the role of government. I mean, you you just go down the list. It's really hard. If I challenged you to say, all right, put together a list of things where the Democrats are going to win and win. What I mean is, what are those 80% issues? Those issues that will garner 80% of the, the, the voter support in order to make them happen and get over the finish line. You just don't find them. So you couple the cognitive decline of the president, poor communication, policies that don't resonate, and suddenly you have a formula that comes up and says, you know what, Um, we got problems in this country. We have challenges. Um, And that the Democrats are panicking because I think they know they're going to get a shellacking come November. The, The Democrats have done 
this drumbeat uh, for the United States saying that it's Putin's fault. It's Putin's fault. Oh, it's Trump's fault. It was Trump's fault. Well, guess what? America gave you the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And the only thing you point to for success was a bipartisan infrastructure bill that if fully implemented now exacerbates the fundamental problem of inflation. Because too much money flowing after too few goods, guess what? Pour more money into the economy, what happens? You get greater and greater inflation. And so this is the fundamental problem. And um, Milton Friedman gave this great talk, and it was decades ago. It's like I think it was back in the 70s, maybe even been the 60s. And he said, you know what? A lot of people want to actually, you should Google it or go to DuckDuckGo and pull this up, Milton Friedman on inflation, and you'll see this speech. And he, it's, it's short. It's to the point. He basically says a lot of people will try to blame a spouse. A lot of people will try to blame a businessman, you know, for trying to maximize their profits. They'll, they'll blame all these other things. But there's only one entity that can actually print money, and that is the federal government. See, states, they have to balance their budgets or go into further and further debt. Some are in such massive debt and upside down on their pension plans it's a multi-trillion dollar uh, uh, problem. That, that's another issue. But the federal government is spending an, an exorbitant amount of money. If you spend a million dollars a day every day, it take you almost 3,000 years to get to $1 trillion. Okay, 3,000 years, $1 trillion. We're $30 trillion in debt. We spend more than a billion dollars a day just in interest on our national debt and Historically, our interest rate is down, has been down near zero. So people talk about, oh, we need bridges. Oh, we need roads. Oh, we need this. We want to do that. But now your debt is so high. Guess what, folks? The debt's so high, uh, you got to pay interest on that. We're going to spend more on our debt servicing than we will on our Department of Defense if we don't have some dramatic changes. And I'm talking about in the next couple of years. It's not that far off. And it is far larger than we spend on a host of other issues. The point being, the president can point fingers. It's not a good look. I think the air, the aura, if you will, of incompetence, of malaise, of somebody without solution is the reason why the Democrats are already talking about who's going to be running the next time. Stay with us. We got a lot more of the show to go. A lot of great guests coming forward Stay with us on Fox Across America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason Chaffetz. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, almost, G- almost Jimmy Fallon. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy. Jimmy's on a very tough assignment down in Santa Monica, California, working on that vitamin D. I don't know how much sun that guy can take. I mean, if you've seen him in person, he may burn in like eight minutes flat. Um, But, you know, he spent some time out on the Jersey Shore. I get that, and I understand that. But, yeah, with him uh, so busy in California, I've been asked to fill in and honored to do so. So thanks, Jimmy, for for, uh, allowing me to, to fill in for you. And uh, there's a lot on the plate, a lot going on with America. I had a wonderful 4th of July holiday, Uh, just time with the family, beautiful weather out in Utah. It was just absolutely gorgeous. One of my favorite holidays for so many different reasons. 
Uh, but I want to bring in um, one of my personal favorites, Matt Schlapp. He's, uh, he heads up the American Conservative Union. He's the chairman there. Uh, you may be familiar with CPAC. He, he's involved. He's got his tentacles everywhere. He's got an incredible background. Uh, between him and his wife, they're doing amazing things for the conservative movement. So, Matt, thanks so much for joining us on Fox Across America. Jason, thanks for having me on. I agree. Fourth of July is like becoming one of my favorite holidays. Uh, you know, it's just this this time where you get to, to have family and and uh, fireworks and celebrate the goodness of the country. But you know what? It's absolutely stunning to me how many Democrats um, and how many of these leftists I just can't even recognize. They they denouncing the Fourth of July. The the Democratic Party. Um, one of the counties in Arizona is actually, you know. I can't even say it on the air because it's uh, laced with profanity, uh, trying to shun and just people that won't respect or honor the flag. You got celebrities saying they're going to leave the country. I mean, if you leave the country, go ahead, leave the country. But I don't understand how a Democratic Party thinks it can survive, let alone thrive, with the idea that they're going to be so anti-American. Well, this is the thing in the uh, the election that's upcoming that find interesting it doesn't surprise anybody to know that conservatives and republicans you know uh all the signs i've seen here in the countryside of uh virginia let's go brandon is very popular let's just say that uh with uh, bumper stickers and flags and everything else like no one no one would be surprised that republicans are really pumped up to vote against socialists and vote against biden but i think the most interesting thing is you know um what do you do if you're a Democratic family and you're, you're real Democrats and you vote Democrat, but you, you love a cop or you love uh, an enlisted Marine who doesn't want to take the vaccine or, you know, you love um, the founders of the country and you're really patriotic or you're like this 100-year-old veteran who fought for a country that he can't recognize anymore. I think the percentages of Democrats who – walk away from the Democratic Party starting in November will rival the, uh, the Reagan-Democrat revolution, which you know really changed politics in America forever. Now, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, probably two months ago or so, I wrote an op-ed for foxnews.com, and the op-ed was, um, this is not your parents' Democratic Party. Because when I was growing up, there were Democrats who actually believed in the right to life. They believed in their law enforcement law enforcement was like not a controversial issue for most of the democrats uh supported the military we would pass bills in congress even when i was there that were like unanimous in support of our military but not anymore yeah no when i was a congressional staffer and uh, this was probably just before you were elected to the house jason but you know you had People in, in the Democratic leadership who were pro-life, you had people like Dick, Dick Gephardt, who yeah. at one point in his career, just like Joe Biden, was pro-life. Uh, and he was a top House leader. You had David Bonier from Michigan, and he was a pro-life person in the House leadership. So, you know, uh, that wasn't considered um, the end of your career in the House of Representatives. Today, right. um, not only would you not be in leadership, they, they would probably run you out of the party. They, you know, abortion is the central kind of uh, d- 
demonic sacrament of the left that binds people together. And I do think it's funny, um, or at least chillingly funny, all these actors who say they're going to leave the country because uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. You know, every country they talk about or they fantasize going to has more conservative vote. Uh, abortion laws in America. But of course, they don't know that because they're too stupid. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. I'd love to have them actually name the countries that they think would be better off in. I was on uh, Fox News earlier today, and I I said, you know, the good news is Delta Airlines has a direct flight from Los Angeles to Costa Rica. You can go there really quickly, like in less than six hours. And, And you know what? The AARP says that it's a really good place to retire. So you're more than welcome to get on that flight and go live in Costa Rica if you like. I heard it's beautiful. Of course they won't. Every place they want to go uh, has had reasonable restrictions on abortion. European countries. It's it's not common to have late-term abortions. It is common to have informed consent and parental consent and you know, what we did in America, much like what they did on gay marriage and a lot of other topics and uh, global climate change, when the Supreme Court decided what was a pollutant and what wasn't a pollutant. I mean, you know, these guys, they might have a lot of talents. I didn't know that they were scientific researchers. But, the, uh, the you know, when, when, when five justices can just pull something out of thin air and say it's in the Constitution, like they said about the right to abortion, um, what it does is it ends up creating more political controversy for a longer period of time than if you just let the voters and the legislators kind of work it through. And as a country, when we work it through, we're better because people read more and they get engaged and they understand what their government's doing. When five justices just do it and make it up and they just totally made up Roe v. Wade, um, you know, uh, the, the, the consequences really are catastrophic. And And for all this undermining our democracy crap that we have to hear from the other side, it's this always going to the court to get the easy decision instead of doing it the hard way, uh, which is really undermining any democracy that they claim that we have. Yeah, this might to to my own personal take on why the founders were so conservative. If they wanted a, a, a glide path to an easy way to pass legislation, they just have a they would just decree it you know there would just be a decree that went out um having to go through the house and the senate and the president and all that it's hard it's it's not a glide path to pass stuff swiftly to the other point too about re- democrats leaving the democratic party we did see a report over the weekend there were some more than one million people that have converted their party membership across the country and, you know, the president's numbers, the vice president's numbers are so low. You don't get that low unless you're losing Democrats and you're losing independents. Right. And so you're right. And, and that's only in states where they uh, they allow party registration or you have to re-register to vote in a primary. There's a lot of states where you don't really have to register by party. So, right. you know, we're going to see an even bigger dynamic than this million net new Republican uh, voters. So I I think it's interesting. I I think the other thing that's interesting is when it comes to the, to, to what we're all talking about and, you know, Supreme court's a big part of it. I love how the left is saying this, you know, Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett and all these people that they are, um, 
you know, they're going to flip the election for the Democrats. I just, I just have to laugh because, you know, they say, well, you know, the, the whole country, like 75 percent of the country is for Roe v. Wade. You know, if that was the case, Jason, if their if they're left-wing policies were so popular, how come they don't just want the people to vote for them at the ballot box and in elections? Why do they – why do they always take it away from the people and go to the courts? I bet those that polling is a little bit more complicated for them, don't you think? And, no, and I, I think the poll that I think the poll that matters the most is I read one that said eighteen percent of the American people think the country's on the right track. I don't no. know when I've ever read that number that low. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, I this I think part of the problem with the Democrats is that they're intellectually dishonest in that they're saying, Oh, Roe v. Wade's getting rid of abortion. A lot of states, you're going to probably have more abortions, much to my chagrin. Uh, I don't right. I don't necessarily like that, but it's not going away in California. It's not going away in Massachusetts. It's not going away. And I mean, and so it's just, you know, you know, I think at some point they're going to wake up, you know, a few months from now and say, well, yeah, I guess we can still get abortions, even though we told you you couldn't. And uh, I have you ever seen, uh, Matt, uh, have you ever seen an abandoning of a president? like you see with Joe Biden now, by its own party base. It is amazing to me how much discussion there already is to a guy who has not yet been in office for 18 months on who the next dominee is going to be for their their own party. Look, I think this whole Biden experiment um, is eye-opening for everybody. The first, the first thing that was weird is he got the nomination because I believe Barack Obama just started making phone calls to his opponent saying, look, this is going to be Joe. And you got to get out, and I'll get you in the cabinet. And uh, and it was weird, you know. Kamala, yeah. she's at like one percent. She becomes the vice president. Joe Biden was really struggling. And next thing you know, um, people like Pete Buttigieg and others, and Amy Klobuchar, are getting out of the race. And uh, and so he was always an accidental nominee, and then became an accidental president because of all the voter fraud and the virus and the mail-in ballots. So like, he's always suffered with this idea that he's legitimate, which is why they make all of us say if we go on any uh, liberal media that they always make you say, well, is he the legitimate president or isn't he? Because they know in the end it was all sketchy and weird, and they don't even really accept him. Um, they, they're abandoning him, like you say. You know, I always say that we have a president who uh, can't read cue cards and a vice president who has no clue cards. <laughs> you know, they have no option. You know, I, I, I worked for Bush and Cheney, and those were two – real leaders and they would try to determine how together they could make more of a punch obviously trump and pence the same way but uh you know and democrats like you know clinton and gore and stuff that was a real partnership they got nothing and the way the the white house staffers are abandoning ship is jumping like rats from a ship i've really never seen before so look i think it was a weird strange thing of history that he ever got to be the president and i think the american people regret it mightily yeah i do too i think they recognize that they've got somebody uh, i think incompetence is the one that just the, the overall aura of what's going on there that it, it, it just i can't think of a single thing that they can point to to say hey we're, things are really going well that's why their numbers are so low uh last thought here before we kind of wrap up but i want to get your take on on Gavin Newsom, because, you know, a lot of people think that Gavin Newsom wants to be the one who is the next uh, party nominee. And he did this odd thing of running these ads in Florida. Let's listen to cut 24. 
It's Independence Day, so let's talk about what's going on in America. Freedom, it's under attack in your state. Your Republican leaders, they're banning books, making it harder to vote, restricting speech in classrooms, even criminalizing women and doctors. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your freedom. I mean, I just want to laugh out loud. Like, yeah, the, the rest of the nation really wants to be more California. We need more cowbell. Let's get more California. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and of course, he's talking about an abortion twice in that ad, but he won't say the word. There must be a reason for that. It must not be quite as popular as he thinks. And I, and I think the thing that's the greatest thing about that ad is it shows that in order to talk to Californians, they have to run ads in Florida because they've all moved there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a reason why they're going after Ron DeSantis so early as they, I think you see him as a real threat. Um, Matt Schlapp, uh he's the uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union. Really do appreciate uh, you, and thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, Jason, and uh, happy July 4th, my friend. Yes, you as well, and uh, make sure you say hi to your better half mercedes really do appreciate it okay thanks again for ha- for joining us and uh, stay with us we'll be right back the critics have spoken well that was different it was but different you're listening to fox across america with jimmy Fallon. before i left for europe i signed a law the first real gun safety law in 30 years things We'll get better still, but not without more hard work together. We all heard what happened today. But each day, we're reminded there's nothing guaranteed about our democracy. Nothing guaranteed about our way of life. We have to fight for it, defend it, and earn it by voting. Now, that was Joe Biden, uh, the president of the United States, in the first remarks after the shooting in Illinois. Uh, I thought they were way off off uh, the mark. Uh, and uh, look, what happened is tragic. I, I don't have words to express to those families and the all the witnesses in their, that community about the hardship and how how um, devastating it is. I, I I just I really do lack the vocabulary. I'd like to say I understand, but I don't understand. I haven't lived through that. But the the compassion that should be offered the um the devastation i wish there was some piece of legislation we could pass and none of these nuts would be able to get out there and do this horrific um i think it's an act of terrorism that that to me personally i i that's what i think it is um but it's intended to terrorize a community and a, a nation Listen to Mark Thiessen, who is um, a speechwriter. He was on special report and his take on what Joe Biden said after a horrific mass shooting. Cut 13. Uh, I'm of two minds on it. I think he did miss an opportunity. He actually spent more time criticizing criticizing the Supreme Court than he did uh, comforting the victims of today's shooting. Uh, One of the president's jobs in a moment like this is to be the comforter in chief. Uh, And so the fact that he just elliptically referenced it, didn't even, you know, talk about it in any specifics about what had happened is is disappointing. 
it's hard for a president. It's hard for a senior government official like that to try to express the the remorse and offer words of comfort literally in short order after that. It's, it's difficult for me. I was on Fox News right after it happened and asked to comment on it uh, while the killer was still on the loose. We didn't know who he was or any of the details. And look, we, we have to exhaust every everything we possibly can to figure out how this happened, what happened, um, and and figure out where the, the warning signs were missed, uh, if there were any. And um, there probably were. Um, you know, the, these things uh, you can never make excuses. Um, there always has to be a self-critical look at what's going on. You know, I think one of the reasons the United States of America is the greatest country on the face of the planet is we are self-critical. We do look in the mirror. But we also have rights, and we don't need to take away those rights from law-abiding citizens in order to try to solve these devastating problems. But I do think that the president missed a real opportunity uh, to help comfort a nation and comfort the people there in Illinois. And may God bless them because... They've gone through a lot. A lot of those kids, a lot of those families live that with that the rest of their lives. And it's sad. And too many people actually lost their lives. Uh, and for that, it was a sad day. Uh, it was sad for what happened. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Jimmy, who's... Um, on assignment, supposedly, in California. But uh, nevertheless, it uh, gave me an opportunity to uh, to fill in today. And I uh, hope you have a chance to listen to my podcast. It's called Jason in the House. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you just type in Jason in the House and uh, at my podcast. And I hope you have a chance to listen to it. One of the people that I interviewed along the way is uh, our next guest. He's a congressman from Utah, Chris Stewart. Now, I served in Congress from Utah, so I had the honor and privilege of uh, overlapping with Chris Stewart, uh, just one of the finest gentlemen you can find, a real patriot, somebody who's uh, served on our United States military, who served on the Intel Committee, uh, who's been on the House Appropriations Committee, somebody who's really got their act together and actually knows what's going on. So when you lose trust and you lose belief in the United States Congress, just know there's some really good people like our next guest here, Congressman Chris Stewart from the Utah's 2nd Congressional District. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Jason, great to be with you. Sounds like Jimmy's wife gave him an assignment to go to the beach in California. Yeah. So The guy could use a tan. Though. He really could use a tan. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just afraid of what he might be wearing. Um, that, that could be, but, you know, I, this is radio, so don't let your mind wander too much. Um uh, hey, thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, I want to I want to kick this off and uh, play a clip. This is from Face the Nation. Uh, Margaret Brennan is pressing uh, Secretary Mark Mayorkas on the ability to stop the, the the trafficking and the surge of migrants. Let's listen to cut fifteen. You are saying right now, what I hear you saying is do not come. But those words are not being heard. People are moving right now. So the efforts to stop the root causes are not stopping them. This horrific trafficking, the worst smuggling tragedy in U.S. history this week with those individuals found dead in that trailer truck, that's not stopping people. Are you predicting that this is only going to get 
more significant from here, that we're going to go beyond the record surge in migrants? Uh, uh, no, I am, I am not predicting that at all. And we're working with our partners to the south because this is a regional challenge that requires a regional response. <laughs> it also requires American leadership and the policies put in place, Congressman. They aren't really solving the problem, are they? It's absurd, uh, Jason. I mean, he talks about this being a regional challenge as if it's not our responsibility. For heaven's sakes, th that area, the Golden Triangle and Mexico, have had incredible uh, challenges, including economic challenges for generations, for as long as you and I have been alive. That didn't suddenly change in the last 18 months. The only thing that changed is the, is the White House, a presidency and a uh, homeland security secretary who has no intention of, of enforcing our current laws. And, you know, she challenged him saying, well, the people come across the border. You say the border's closed, don't come. She said they're not being heard. That's because he's not serious about that. And they know he's not serious about that. What they know is that if they come, that he will protect them, that this administration will protect them. It'll allow them to stay. It'll give them health care and benefits and a free phone, and it will, sh it will give them a bus pass or a plane ticket to the city, which will then have the responsibility for taking care of them. Of course these people are coming. They've been invited to come, and that's why we'll have something like 2 million people, Jason, in one year. 2 million people cross the border illegally. It's a catastrophe for our country if that continues. Talk to us about the... You know, and I, as I've looked at it, you know, it, it's not only uh, the catastrophe, but the human trafficking, uh, the deaths that yeah. are happening. Uh, Border Patrol agents that I spoke with personally would tell me that more than 50 percent of the women coming across that border when they're trafficked are raped along the way. There's a drug yeah. problem, fentanyl problem. Uh, there's uh, more than 150 different countries of of nationalities of people flowing across the border. We've caught people on the terrorist watch list. Kind of go deeper with us on what you're seeing and hearing. You've been on the Intel Committee. Member of Congress gets briefings. What are you seeing and hearing? Well, I think I would add a couple things to what you've said. And I know you've been deeply involved with this issue, including, you know, for your, from your very first years in Congress, this was something that yeah. you, you showed a great interest in and and had some uh, some uh, actually very effective uh, legislative proposals. But to, just to show how dangerous this is, I mean, you've been told 50 percent. I've been told upwards of 70 percent of the women and young girls who come across the border uh, have been abused or sexually assaulted in some way, 70, 72 percent. And uh, in my most recent visit there, I saw something that just was shocking to me, and I had no idea, even though I thought I understood how bad it was. And that was the coyotes who carry these people. They have their own gangs, their own organizations, and they identify you with, an, with a wristband. It's like you get a wristband when you go to Disneyland. You get a wristband when you, when you contract with one of these coyotes, these different groups, and uh, the cartels. And if you show up at the border without a wristband, they'll immediately just kill you. Because they're saying, you don't cross this border without our help. You don't cross this border without paying us. And by the way, these cartels are now making more money moving people illegally across the border than they are making, than they've made with drugs. Including, by the way, the fentanyl that you've already mentioned. Uh, for heaven's sakes, just two weeks ago, we had two individuals cross the border with enough fentanyl to kill two million Americans. 
and they spent one stinking night in jail, and then they were released. I mean, to say it's lawless down there, for heaven's sakes, Fallujah looks at our southern border and says, well, that's too dangerous. I don't want to go there. That's how bad it is now. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning for the Secretary of Homeland Security to pretend that they have operational control, that they pretend that the the border is closed and that that's really going to have an effect. Uh, It's just it's just absolutely stunning to me. And I guess the one that really bothered me, we're going to play this clip again, is uh, the White House spokesperson who last week on Air Force One, this is what she said, clip 18. We're focused on them, on the facts, uh, on, and holding the human strugglers who endangered uh, vulnerable individual, uh, individuals for profits accountable. Uh, and, we're, and we're focused on continuing our historic actions to disrupt dangerous smuggling networks, including through new uh, anti-smuggling campaign that just in the first two months uh, resulted in over 1,800 arrests. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the border is closed. The border is closed, Congressman. Well, I mean, what they're betting is that the American people are stupid and that they can stand up and say something that's just absurd on its face and that the American people will go, oh, well, that's reassuring. I'm glad the border's closed. I guess I'll just worry about something else now. But the American people aren't stupid and they can see it with their own eyes. They can see it in their own communities. You don't have to live on the Texas border to see the implications of this. When you have 2 million people entering the country every year, you can't hide them. And they're all over our nation, and people are reminded all the time. And they can watch the news and see what's happening. They can see the increase in fentanyl deaths. They can hear about the child trafficking and the sex trafficking and the, and the other human catastrophe that's taking place down there. And so the spokeswoman can stand up and say all, this, all she wants. We had 1,800 arrests. There is one thing I'll agree with her, Jason, and she said our historic actions – I actually agree with that. It is historic for an administration to create chaos, to intentionally create chaos and suffering on our border like this administration has chosen to do. That is historic, and the American people should hold them accountable for it. Yeah, no, well said. I, 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 we could go on and on about this. i got to shift gears with you in the few minutes I have left with you, but uh, – you know, one of the things that's stunning to me with these Supreme Court justices and the rulings, uh, that that's a whole topic unto itself. But there are laws in the books that preclude people from intimidating justices and specifically doing it at their homes. Um, and yet that law is not enforced. And I, I, I played it earlier in the show, but I really want to play it again. It's cut uh, 23. This is Samantha B about what she thinks should happen, not just to Supreme Court justices, but conservatives in general. Have a listen to Cut 23. I can't describe how painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase 50 years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's about doing everything in our power to protect and help vulnerable people access abortion across state lines. And we have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant Justice Alito eats at for the rest of his life. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. 
What's your thought about that? Well, I guess uh, I guess the Republicans are the insurrectionists, right? I mean, the Democrats are just peaceful, courteous, graceful people who would never challenge anyone in their personal living space or their families, or or show up at a baseball diamond and shoot a bunch of Republicans, or you know, spend a summer, you know, creating chaos and two billion dollars of damage, et cetera. And I mean, her rhetoric falls perfectly in line with that. But the, but the frustrating thing for most Americans, I think, Jason, is this inconsistency that's a very apparent, well, there's a rule of law for you, and then there's a rule of law for us. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to mix those two up. So if you're an angry parent who's scared to death about what the school and the school board may be approving and teaching your children, and you show up to express that fear, well, you, therefore, are now a domestic terrorist, and we're going to turn the might and the power of the FBI on you. But if you, on the other hand, are outside the uh, uh, the front steps of a Supreme Court justice with the clear intention of trying to intimidate them into changing their ruling, this isn't just to punish them. Remember, Jason, this took place before the ruling was released. It was clearly intended to to create fear and intimidation, trying to persuade them to change their thinking. It's yeah. clearly illegal. And how in the world the local law enforcement and federal law enforcement allows it to continue? Again, it just leads to the thing about, well, there's rules for them and there's rules for us. No, it's just, it's just fundamentally wrong. Um, last thing, because we've got to wrap up here pretty quick. We're talking with uh, Congressman Chris Stewart from uh, Utah. You also served in the military. What is the flag? What, is, what does America mean to you? You set the world record, actually, for fastest flight around the, the globe, I believe. But you've got a rich history of, of, of service. And when you see the flag and you see people trying to denigrate it or disrespect it, um, what, what flows through your mind? You know, I think, I think I feel the same way that most Americans do, at least the way that most Americans used to. And I pray that most Americans still do. And that is a flag represents all of us. I mean, if you want to talk about inclusion, Jason, talk about the American flag. It's supposed to represent all of us. That's right. And, you know, I had an interesting experience. I'll tell this very quickly. I was in Washington, D.C., and we went to a, a small community Fourth of July parade there. This is a couple of years ago. And, you know, traditionally the flag is the first thing you walk by. And no one stood up for the flag like I thought they would, like I expected them to. And when they did, my family and I immediately stood, all of us, and we placed our hands over our heart. And, Jason, when we did that, then the people around us did it too. And I think that's a good reminder that sometimes they just need a little bit of reminding. Just sometimes they need to know, I love my country, and I'm not the only one who feels that way. For those of us who do love our country, who do respect our flag, we should never, ever be ashamed to show that. And others around us will see it, and many of them will respond the same way, I think. Uh, wise words around a 4th of July holiday. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks for your service to our country and thanks for your serving in Congress. And thanks for joining us on Fox across America. You made Jimmy proud. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Congressman Chris Stewart from the great state of Utah. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Really do appreciate it. Thanks again. Great to be with you. All right. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Critics are calling it the funniest show on the radio. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown and lose you. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I almost had it. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I want to thank Jimmy uh, for uh, letting me sit in his seat and uh, fill in the show. they got a, a great staff, makes it really easy. Uh, all the buttons and clips and everything that you need, uh, I really do appreciate it. Good professional staff there. And, and uh, we've had a great array of guests. I really appreciate everybody taking time to join us and hope you're able to listen the whole the whole whole way. I wanted to end with something positive, and I, I want to talk about the um, – uh, Kevin Ford. Uh, I don't know if you saw this over on foxnews.com, but I love stories like this. Like I am inspired ordinary people who do extraordinary things, ordinary people who do what they're supposed to do, ordinary people who just go out and they work hard and they love their country and they're trying to do the right thing. And that's what I saw in this uh, story about Kevin Ford. Kevin is 54 years old. For 27 years in a row, he has worked at the Burger King in Las Vegas. So since 1995, he has never missed a day. He has always shown up. Didn't call in, fake a sickness, even when he was probably a little under the weather, still came in. So for 27 years in a row, he's been working at at Burger King. And Burger King, you have no idea how good this guy must be to do that. Well, Burger King on their 27th anniversary gave this guy a little congratulations. They gave him a movie ticket and gave him, um, I think, uh, some Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, they gave him a Starbucks cup is what I read. So his evidently Kevin Ford's daughter thought, yeah, maybe we could do a little bit more for dad. And so she started this GoFundMe page. And the goal on the GoFundMe page, if you type in Kevin Ford, the original goal was $200. Now, that is a very modest goal to raise some money for dad for his 27 years of continuous service at the Burger King. Um, They have now raised $354,773. $354,773. So if you ever have a doubt in your mind about the goodness of the American people, the spirit of America, all you have to do is kind of read and hear some of these stories. Because, I don't know, Kevin, I'm going to go out of my way to find that Burger King in in Las Vegas uh, and go visit it. I hope I'll be able to shake that guy's hand. He's just an ordinary American, working hard. Showed up every day, continuously for 27 years. His daughter's trying to give $200 to say, hey, thanks, Dad. And America steps forward and donates $354,773. And that's just as we've gotten so far. I hope he enjoys it. I hope he continues to work at Burger King because he's one of the more valuable people out there. And there are people that you know in your family or friends or whatever. You know what? They get up. They do the right thing. They're doing it for all the right reasons. They love their country. They don't want to make a scene. They just want to work and love and be a good citizen. And it's kind of disgusting. You know, we did stories about the celebrities who are, you know, oh, I'm so tired of hearing about them Uh, and all their whining. If you don't love America, then get out. You can go to another country. But for those of us that love their country and love their flag, let's unite and just get behind the flag and for the love of country. So for Kevin Ford, thanks for your service. Thanks for making some good whoppers, I'm sure, along the way. 
And thanks to Jimmy for letting me fill in. I'm Jason Chaffetz. It's been an honor and privilege. Thanks for joining us on Fox Across America. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.